Thanks for joining us in our study of the letter of James, Wisdom for Wholeness. Here, James uses Old Testament wisdom literature, as well as teaching from his own half-brother Jesus, to call the church throughout the age to a life wholly devoted to God. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life, so as to make people complete in him. We have made it to the end of James. Congratulations for sticking with it. If you don't open your Bible, we'll be in James today. Last week we finished preaching through the last two verses in chapter 5, and James went out swinging. I mean, he didn't say goodbye, brothers, grace and peace. He went out in the last, uh, in the last eight verses, there are six imperatives, six commands to us as Christians as what we're supposed to do. So he doesn't let up. Uh, he doesn't just say goodbye or have a nice ending because he understands, like we talked about last week, he understands what's on the line, life and death. And to the very end of his gospel or his, his excuse me, his letter to us, the sermon letter, he is proclaiming how we ought to then live, both as to love one another, but first find that to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. The truth is his sermon kind of ends in a way that his life ends. James is a martyr. James, was, we know from church history, was either killed uh, by stoning, he was stoned to death, or it's perhaps possible that he was also beat to death after being thrown off of a high building. Uh, one of the two ways, that's most likely how he was killed. But he died with utter steadfastness being what characterized him. He wasn't untrue to what he had told us to do. To the end, saying, no, it is Christ and Christ alone. And his life looked like one of steadfastness, trusting God alone. He was steadfast to the end, being far from concerned about what the world thought. He cared more about true wisdom, knowing Christ, and about living this out than earthly desire for his own life. James's message then, as we remind ourselves, is not only consistent, but it's for us. It's not just for these ancient readers. It is for us. We've, so, we've covered so much in the last few months it would be impossible for me to try to bring it all back up today. But depending on how long you've been here, you may remember in times past, Stacy has preached what he used to call a smorgasbord sermon. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and some of you have no idea what a smorgasbord is. So let me do a little explanation, all right? Now, I come from Philadelphia area, between Philadelphia and Lancaster. That's probably the area roughly I'm from. In East Earl, there's this place called Shady Maple Smorgasbord. It is probably one of the wonders of the world. There are so, there's so much food, and there are so many different kinds of food there for you to uh, partake in. Uh, so what I'm going to show you is just a few things here. So this is like the fruit table, but there are like four of these tables. And then you move on, and like where the kids start is always like the donut table and the pastries. And like, in the, like for breakfast, there's pie and cakes and everything else that you could possibly want. You also have, this is just straight up a pancake station where they make fresh pancakes. You can put ever whatever you want inside there, waffles, etc. Same thing with eggs, omelets, uh, Benedicts, all that kind of stuff right there. They'll make it fresh for you. Move on, you can have some more fried food or maybe some starches moving along there, some crispy stuff. And then the one we all really want, we get to the bacon spot. So there's all this food. It's, it's, it's overflowing with this amount of food. So if you're ever up in Pennsylvania, first you should go see my parents because my mom will treat you almost as good food as that um, and as much. Uh, and then you should go down and see Shady Maple Smorgasbord. Anyway, a smorgasbord 
is this place where you have, it's like a buffet, right? We have a huge buffet, and it's all different types of foods, from cold stuff to hot stuff, from crispy stuff to smooth stuff, to all kinds of different stuff. Not necessarily one major theme. There's all kinds of stuff going on here. What I'd like to do, and Stacy would do, bring us through and say, here's a smorgasbord of stuff. Pick what is helpful as we go through this and we'll move on. I'd like to do a little bit different. I'm going to take a different analogy. I want to go this way. This is like more of a Thanksgiving meal that was prepared for not like a million people, but rather for one group, a family and friends around a table. You can see a few key dishes were, were picked out and pulled together for that family unit. That's kind of what I want to do today. I certainly can't improve on what James has done, but I want to bring a few things to light. I'm going to pick, as it were, a few dishes for us to eat and enjoy together from the book of James and help us understand then the bigger picture, even though it's through just a few of those things. So it won't be a smorgasbord sermon per se, more of like a Thanksgiving fe feast. Um, that's what I want to do. And in some ways, I, I'm a little bit sad that we're here. Um, not because it's bad, but because we're finished up with our brother James. Um, I feel like I've gotten to know him really well. I feel like we've started to finally understand where he's going. He's led us through several discussions on really important things, um, very, very practical, and led us through really how to love our neighbor as ourself. We've become familiar kind of with his style and really start to understand him, kind of almost anticipate what he's about to say. And it seems silly, but if you and I were to be in heaven now, we'd probably gravitate towards James's mansion because we know like we are kind of like, I've been following him along this train and we understand what he is saying and kind of trying to do this with him. But as good as all that is, we've come to the end of the sermon letter and it's appropriate that we take stock of what's happened and we finish out well. Let me give you a little bit of a plan for today. It's going to be different than I think any sermon I've ever done uh, that we've done here at Cornerstone, but this is what we're going to try to do to take one good look at James again. We're going to start by doing the same thing we did at the beginning of our series. I don't know if you remember this. We started by reading the entire book at one shot. Now, this isn't time for you to shut down. This is an opportunity for you. This is an opportunity to see the whole book at one shot. This is most likely exactly how the original hearers would have heard it. This is a letter that was James's sermon to several different churches. So most likely what we're doing this morning is very similar to the first way these hearers would have heard and responded to it. Second thing, remember this. If you remember back at the beginning, we talked about that James writes in a very cyclical pattern. He keeps coming back to the same themes. I used that analogy of a, uh, a merry-go-rounder, a carousel, and you saw the green horse go by, and then it was gone. And then it came back again, and you noticed it again. And then you started to see the same thing with the blue horse, and then it went away. And then the blue horse came back. The same thing happens in James. He keeps going in these patterns where he'll add layers to it, but continuing on with the same themes. So we're going to take the time to set aside and read this entire book together. Now, what I would encourage you to do, this is a weird thing for a pastor to say, is to close your Bibles for that you will not get distracted. I want you to hear it, and I want you to clue in so that you follow the train of thought. Because again, what James has to say to us this morning is far more important than what I have to say to us. He is authoritatively speaking to us and to the church. After we do this, again, I'm not going to be able to improve on this, but I will take some time to give us three other thoughts here that are from the book of James, things that I think are important for us to walk away with. We'll close in prayer, but we will not be done. Throughout this time as we've walked through James, 
I have had several different people that we've just interacted on regular things and they said, man, I'm reading this in James and this is how it's affected my life or this is how it's happened or man, it helped me to obey Jesus in this way. After we're done, after we pray, I am gonna ask you to respond. That's different. We never do this on a Sunday morning. We're gonna preach, but then I'm gonna ask you to respond and share with one another. I'm gonna have whoever is willing to stand and share what you have learned from the book of James or how you have now learned to better obey Jesus through this, this work that James has given to us. So we'll do that, and we'll close out with a song and be done. So that's kind of the, the, the plan. That'll be about five, ten minutes at the end of our sermon. That's the plan. Let's begin then. I want you to clue in and listen as I read through this sermon letter from James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits." Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures." Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, 
show no partiality as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, ah, you sit here in a good place. Why, you say to the poor man, "Uh, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich, <clears throat> are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone, a genuine believer I'd say, will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue. It is a small member yet it boasts of very great things. I lost my spot. (laughs) Yes, thank you. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Or can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be dis disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scriptures say the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy, your silliness, to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, rather, if the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived in the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. Therefore, brothers, since the cries have reached the ears of the Lord of harvest, be patient until the Lord comes. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Brothers, don't grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a like nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We're grateful for our brother James who's led us down these paths. More importantly, we're thankful for Jesus teaching his brother and these are his words. I cannot, like I said, improve on these, but I think it's important that we just finish today with a few thoughts. I'll give you three. Number one, James calls the Christian to be complete in Christ. If you've been around Cornerstone, this is not a new idea for you. We go straight to Colossians 1, 28 and 29 for our purpose statement. It comes out, we know that it comes out, him we proclaim, but we say this as our goal, is to work with all the energy that he gives us to present every man perfect or mature or complete in Christ. In James 1.4, we realize that James is all about making Christians perfect and complete in Christ, lacking nothing. James desires that our insides, we talked about this, would match our outsides. What's going on here would result in true action, as Matt read this morning. He calls us to be undivided people, that our faith, our trust, would not be part over here and part over there. He talks about being an, a, not a double-minded man, but one who is whole, one who is completely devoted to Christ. In short, he wants us to be holy as the Lord is holy. As we've moved through James, I realized that this is one of my major issues, that my insides, or what I say about my insides, even worse, don't match what I do. 
I tend to commit the same sins that James has talked about, and yet I forget to tie it back to my heart, my wicked heart. James has highlighted many of these sins over the last five chapters, partiality, favoritism, exploitation of the poor, judging one another from a point of self-exaltation, an unbridled tongue, over and over again, quarreling, and the many other sins of the tongue, jealousy, what's inside, selfish ambition, what's inside, the sin of self-reliance, and arrogant thinking in our planning. And eventually, he finishes the sin of walking away from the truth. All of these sins show us that we are not yet complete in Christ. Each of these rebellious acts helps us to see that when we think about our hearts, we've only given him some of it. There are parts of it that we want to keep for ourselves, that we want to reign over. We're okay with most of it, but we want to keep a few of those things that we have control over, do the things that we think are right. And thus our hearts and our hands seem to operate independently, and we somehow think that that's okay. James has shown us that it's not okay. It's sin. And if we continue in these ways, we will be described like in eight as the double-minded man driven by the wind and tossed. In the end, we will receive nothing. If we try to live our lives in such a way that allows us to come on a Sunday morning and genuinely try to worship together, but then we decide to go back to our regular lives doing the things that we want to, we've deceived ourselves. We're phonies. This cannot change from here to there to there. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all have to look the same. Jesus reigns over all those days. Not only those days, but let me say this, friend. If you are Christ's, he bought you with his blood. He has every right to every part of you. There is nothing, there is nothing in you that is not his. And so, I would say, Christian brother and sister, have you kept back any part of your heart from Jesus? Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or maybe you need to search your soul and say, yeah, I'm not even aware of it. I practice these worldly things. My heart isn't given over to Jesus in these ways. As your brother, I'd call you back and say, return. Don't do this wandering thing of yours. Return to the truth. Maybe you don't know it, but there's parts of your life that are kept back from the rule and reign of God. Friend, please, do not be deceived into thinking that God is okay with these types of things, with your love that's divided into this and that and the other thing. He is a jealous lover, and he will not tolerate your small infidelities. That's what they are. Every part of you is his. He owns it all. So, let me say this together. We must repent and turn to him and constantly say, Lord, I want this part of my heart, but I give it over to you. Probably the next day you're going to struggle with taking it back again. But you need to confess it again and repent and ask him to change your heart constantly that it would be his, that Jesus would sit on the throne of your entire heart, not just parts of it. So, not only does James teach us about what it means to be complete in him, James also teaches that for a Christian, trials are meant for good. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of you are struggling here today with trials. Some of it, maybe it happened this morning, just the trial of trying to get to church on time with your kids through the rain. Some of it is bigger than that, and there's stuff that's happened this week at work. Some of you have had trials pressing down on you for months or years, and it's a constant battle for you. It's a constant thing that you feel the pressure and the squeeze. 
I realized that usually our first prayer is, Lord, relieve this. Get me out of this situation because it hurts. I don't like it. Please take it away. And in chapter 5, we learn that when, he, when, when someone suffers, it's okay to pray. It's the right thing to pray. It says pray to God. This certainly includes a prayer for relief, but we have to remember the whole, the rest of James overall. The first time that James spoke about trials, remember this, is right at the beginning of the book. And what does he say? Something ridiculous. He says, count it all joy when you meet various trials. That does not make any sense for us who don't see that there's something greater. If you don't see that, and if this is all that there is, there's no reason to consider it joy, to count it all joy when you meet with these different trials and temptations. Are you kidding me, James? Like, you must not have gone through anything that's very hard in your life if you think that we can count these things as joy. Shouldn't our first response be like, pray and ask for help? He says the first thing is consider it or count it as joy. Why would we do this? He gives us the answer too. You remember this. He says this, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And if you will persevere in our submission to Christ, in our faith in Him and Him alone, the life of steadfastness will have its full effect. And we will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing because of Him. That's what we want. You see, trials are terrible, devastating. But for Christians, there is a beautiful silver lining. In fact, it's better than that. There is real life on the other side. They are meant for your good. I realize there's some of you that say, yeah, Chris, you have no idea. You don't live my life. You, you, you're not, you haven't old enough to experience the hardness of life and all the different things that can bear down on you and the terribleness of sin. You're, that's true. But brothers and sisters, may I say this? Our human eyes, our human thoughts and intellect cannot see how the Master shapes our lives and how He works His will in us as His new creation. So don't trust your eyes. Don't trust your feelings. Trust Jesus. That's not just a catchy saying. He knows what's going on. And he is doing something in you. And so, for us, trials are meant for good. And we can actually say, okay, joy. Does that mean silliness and happiness? No, of course not. But we understand that it's for something far greater and there's importance to this. Turn to Jesus then and call for wisdom. This leads me to my last point. Only a wise person can believe that all trials are meant for good. James tells us to call out for wisdom, to ask for it. And he tells us that God will give it without reproach. He will give it because he is not double-minded. He's not like us. He has complete consistency between his heart and his hands. He is all about continuing his work in us. Philippians 1, 6, he began it, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He promises to do so. So ask for wisdom. He wants us to be mature, whole, holy, complete, and lacking nothing. And he will provide all that we need to become mature in Christ. Cancer, addictions, death, financial ruin, wandering children, terrible relationships. I get it. All these terrible, terrible trials. 
Jesus is not only faithful, but he uses those to work. And the only way you and I can believe that is if we are wise. The only way that we get wisdom is through Christ. And notice I didn't say that he will provide for us the American dream, or that he will provide safety even, or that he will even provide for our everyday specific needs here on earth. How is it possible that a Christian could starve to death? Because that happens, you know that, right? In our world. How is it possible that a Christian who believes and trusts Christ dies from persecution? Someone kills him. If we believe that somehow we'll have safety and all of our provisions met here on earth, I want to warn you, that's not quite right. What he promises is that he will hold us fast and he will take us to ultimate completion. You do not know what tomorrow brings, neither do I. But what we do know is that wisdom tells us that these trials are meant for our steadfastness and for our good. And he can be trusted. These are not easy things to hear from James. How could we possibly explain someone enduring persecution? Were these people not supplied all that they needed? Yes, they were supplied all they needed. Our view of the world has to come thoroughly God-centered. We cannot allow society to tell us and have the final say as to what is right and wrong and how society really ought to be. Jesus tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus tells us, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus tells us, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Only those who are truly wise can understand that all trials, however unpleasant they are, are meant for good, for your building up, for your steadfastness. And that bringing what it will bring in your life then is blessing. And we talked about what blessing is. We're not talking about hashtag blessed. We're talking about true blessing, divine favor from God. I know, good Snickers there. That was good, right? We're talking about true blessing that is divine favor. Do you understand how precious that is? That the God who has every right to destroy you because of Jesus now looks on you as a son or a daughter? That's blessing. And that will be eternal. We need these things, brothers and sisters. And I thank God that James has said them to us. Let's pray together and join together. God, thank you. I thank you for what you've taught us through James. And we ask your blessing on us as we go from here that we would not have divided hearts and that we would live correctly as ones who love Jesus and love our neighbors ourselves. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For other sermons on the book of James and further information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.